Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, May 11th, 2010. And yes, I turned 42 today. That's right, 42. That's the answer to life, the universe, and everything. So I feel that that's a wise and sage number. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. I am not exempt from this exercise. I am a human being. That means that I am capable of making errors, mistakes, uh, teaching false doctrine, either wittingly or unwittingly. So your job is to trust God's word and to test everything that is spoken in the name of God to God's word. And where it is in accord with God's word, sing praises and uh be happy and rejoice and learn. And where it contradicts God's word, be warned and warn others. That's uh, important stuff to be doing nowadays. <sighs> all right. Uh, first and foremost, right off the bat, I want to thank all of you all for the uh, the happy birthday wishes that you've been uh, sending me via Twitter, email, as well as uh, uh, Facebook. Um, I appreciate every single one of the well wishes for my birthday, and I, I thank all of you for uh, taking the time to uh, write me a quick note. And uh, so I wanted to say thank you for that. <sighs> Today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we'll start off with a little bit of good news. Okay, I have news regarding uh, that uh, senior citizen home in Georgia, in Wentworth, Georgia, Apparently the battle's over, and uh, and so we'll uh, be uh, listening, uh, not listening, and I'll be reading a story in regard to that today. And then uh, Patricia King will be making an appearance. <sighs> I think today's, uh, you could say today's theme for the program is dreams. Uh, Patricia King is going to be chiming in and telling us about what dreams mean and uh, you got to stay tuned for that because um, we're going to be issuing, issuing a very important warning during uh, uh, the, our Patricia King segment today. And, uh, and then we're going to uh, switch gears and uh, get to that uh, George Ellerick piece from the Huffington Post 
entitled One Creator, Many Names. This is an important piece for us to listen to and for us to be able to give a biblical answer to, uh, because uh, emergence, uh, poorly uh, catechized, purpose-driven types, and uh, well-meaning uh, people who just want to get along with other religions uh, within the visible church are saying some things that just ain't true. And uh, so we're going to take a look at uh, what George Ellerick has uh, written on this uh, One Creator, Many Names, and we're going to refute it biblically, okay? And uh, we'll we'll kind of work out from there. And then um, our sermon review today comes from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. It, apparently, it's a West Side story, but I'm bump. And the uh, pastor is uh, Wayne Cardiero, and the name of the sermon is Dream Releasers. Dream Releasers. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, I I present this sermon as the uh, apostate counterpoint to the fantastic sound biblical doctrine that we heard yesterday from Dr. Rod Rosenblatt uh, from his uh, conference uh, speech at the uh, Mockingbird Conference on the good news of the bound will. And uh, so we're going to be listening to uh, Wayne Cardiero from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon, tell us the name of the sermon is Dream Releasers. <sighs> so um, I recommend that you make yourself comfortable. Yeah, listen to the show the way that you prefer to listen. If yeah, I'm getting more emails from folks telling me that they enjoy listening to Fighting for the Faith while mowing their lawns. That's okay. It's completely approved. And uh, don't have a problem with that if you want to listen while on a treadmill, on an elliptical, while on a recumbent bike, while in a spin class, while swimming. We do have somebody who listens while swimming. If you want to listen while wearing fuzzy bunny slippers and enjoying an adult beverage, again, we don't have a problem with that. Please feel free to do what is necessary to enhance your listener experience. I mean, this again... Uh, I cannot say enough, and I cannot reach out to you enough with my heart, from the depths of my inner being, to let you know that your listener experience is absolutely critical, crucial, and important to me. And uh, that being the case, I, I I release you to do what is necessary to enhance your listener experience. And keep in mind, though, uh, you don't want to take things too far and don't want to uh, indulge in sinful behavior. You'll have to repent and be forgiven for that. But uh, anything within the bounds of Christian liberty, please feel free to do and enjoy the program. Because you know what? The reality is I'm going to enjoy it. So please feel free to join me if you would. <sighs> okay. So uh, yesterday uh, I read a story about uh, the, some folks at a uh, retirement home in uh, is it Wentworth, Georgia. And uh, talk about a short-lived battle. I mean, this one didn't even last a day. But uh, let's uh, cue up the vintage news music so that I can... From the SavannahNow.com website, uh, the headline reads, Prayer Reinstated at Port Wentworth Senior Center. Um. You know what's funny is is that there's something I didn't do when I was reading this uh, reading the story yesterday. By the way, this is by Eric Curl of SavannahNow.com. 
Um, let, let me read. After a brief fall from grace, mealtime prayer was restored on Monday at Port Wentworth's Ed Young Senior Citizens Center. After initially telling members last week that they could no longer pray out loud before meals because the meals are partially funded by the federal government, Senior Citizens, Inc. reversed course to the relief of the center's members. Um, By the way, the the simple way to uh, read this story would be something to this effect. Um, the, The story behind the story probably goes something like this. This became a national news story quickly. Okay, I mean, this one got splat. I mean, it just got splattered all over uh, the the news networks and the uh, uh, 24-hour news channels. And uh, as a result of it, um, you can imagine that uh, Senior Citizens, Inc., uh, their website probably melted down. Uh, There were probably so many people going immediately to their computers, typing in and Google Senior Citizens, Inc., found their website clicked on the link, went to their website, found the phone number, and called Senior Citizens, Inc., and people were letting them have a, well, in in pirate speak, a a broadside, if you would, and just let them have it. And um, Senior Citizens, Inc. wisely stuck their finger into the wind and said, you know, this is probably not a winning proposition for us. We don't want to be known as the company that um, starved uh, senior citizens because they refused to uh, pray silently and preferred to pray out loud and to acknowledge their God and thank him out loud prior to their meals. And so what they did is they decided to do to basically take the path of least resistance and said, Uncle, that's I'm telling you, this is probably how it went down. I just I can't imagine that uh, they didn't get more than a few probably very upset uh, people from around the country uh, giving them a ring on the landline and basically giving them a piece of their mind. So anyway, that, that, that that's how you can read this thing. But here's the deal, okay? Keep in mind, one of the things I've said in the past, and I'll reiterate this, these types of events all have kind of an agenda to them. Okay, and uh, believe me when I tell you that there's been ground lost at this point, despite the fact that things have gone well for the uh, seniors at the uh, the Ed Young Senior Center in Wentworth, Georgia. How have how have we lost ground? Well, now we've got this nagging thing in the back of our head going, if I pray out loud, am I going to run afoul of the federal government? Yeah, you see, that's how this thing, this, these things work. So what's my recommendation in order to gain back the ground? Um, I strongly recommend for all of you Christians out there, uh, to, to make it a habit, uh, you know, to pray out loud and thank God for your meal. Now, you're sitting there going, well, we do that at home. Should we do it in the restaurant? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, let me tell you a little story. Okay, I don't normally tell too many stories about my life, but from time to time I share some. Um, I've mentioned that a gentleman by the name of Ken Corby, uh, the, the, the lately sainted uh, Reverend Ken Corby, um, he was a, a gentleman who helped me in my transition from American evangelicalism into confessional Lutheranism. 
And um, uh, one summer, I took a trip with some friends of mine from college, and uh, we traveled from uh, Southern California to Pewaukee, Wisconsin, and yeah, because all the great theological conferences occur in Pewaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, we went to a conference uh, put on by uh, Peter Bender, and it, the the conference was basically about catechism, uh, the, uh, using the catechism with adults, catechesis and things of that nature. And uh, this is going on a long time ago. This is <laughs> 1994. Um, ha, the, the thought of it. Anyway, um, it, it, here's the scary thing uh, about that particular date. It, it was, by the way, 1994 when this occurred. And, um, uh, that's now it's all, it's coming up on 16 years. Yeah. Um, if I had been born that year, I'd be driving this year. That's how frightening that number is. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, some friends, uh, some friends of mine and I went to, uh, Pewaukee, Wisconsin to Peter Den- Bender's catechetical conference. And, um, it was, um, intimidating, fascinating, and absolutely exhilarating. This was just a fantastic conference to be around. And to watch um, and listen to uh, Ken Corby in action was breathtaking. I mean, this guy was a mensch. He he, he was a man's man. And I'm telling you, uh, when we took communion, uh, one of the nights we uh, you know, we had a, a Vesper service and uh and we there was uh, maybe i think it was a full blown divine worship and it was late it you know started in the evening and uh we, if, with communion and the whole thing and it was it was common cup only and i kid you not i mean when uh, when ken corby would put the chalice in your mouth i mean you would lose teeth i mean that's how manly he was when he handled the uh, the Lord's uh, Supper. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I, I still think I have a chipped tooth to this day from uh, receiving communion. And anyway, um, one of the mornings, uh, the, the conference was two days long, and this morning, uh, the, the morning of the second day of the conference, uh, there, there was a kind of a pre-meeting, if you would, of some of the pastors, uh, and they were all at Denny's. And I was invited to attend the Denny's, but I wasn't invited to the big uh, to the adult table, I was sitting at a booth, you know, adjacent to uh, the 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 adult table where the uh, the pastors were having their thing. And I kid you not, one of the most amazing things I have ever seen in my life was uh, uh, was uh, these these all of these pastors. They're all wearing clericals. They're all sitting at this extended table in the middle of the of Denny's. And the waitresses start to bring out the food, and as soon as all of the all of the food is placed in front of the pastors, uh, the Reverend Ken Corby said he stands up. He stands up. Did I mention the fact that he stood up? He stood up, and he said, "Gentlemen, let us now ask the Lord's blessing and offer our thanks to our God for t- this morning's meal." All of the pastors stood up. And in the middle of Denny's, they sang the blessing, Feed Your Children, God Most Holy. <laughs> oh, my jaw was on the floor. I mean, these, I mean, and it was beautiful. I mean, these men were singing, Feed Your Children, God Most Holy. And I'm just sitting there going, I can't believe what I am seeing and what I am hearing. 
And I kid you not, everybody in Denny's was just silent and in awe. And at the end of it, there wasn't any clapping, but there was this electrical buzz in in the air. And it was the most amazing thing that I had seen. It was reverent. It was holy. It was not obnoxious. It was not in your face. And I... it. I will never in my life forget that moment. So, no, I'm not saying that that's what you should do. I, I, I'm just saying, yes, thank God out loud for the meals, for the food that you receive, regardless of the fact that you're in your home, in another person's home, or in a restaurant. Holy and reverently thank the Lord for the blessings that he has given you in providing that meal. You'd never know. It might actually get somebody to ask a question. Tell me about your God. You just never know. And then if you really are bold, stand up and sing. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. So that, that, that's my story there. So the, 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 coming back to the, the, uh, the Senior Citizens, Inc. story. Real simple, okay? We've lost ground on this. We already have. So the simple solution is this. Folks, if you are ever in a situation, and you might find yourself in a situation where you are basically told that you can't pray out loud because of something the federal government, uh, you know, because of some policy or something that has to do with federal funds and all that kind of stuff, what what you do in that situation is you draw the line and say, nope, I am going to pray and you're going to have to arrest me to stop me. Make them do it. Because keep in mind, uh, the Congress you know, opens every day's session with a prayer. So if, I think if Congress can have Congress open with a prayer... I'm certain that if Congress contributes a penny or two towards your food, that you can pray also to thank God for the meal that he has provided. So um, so stand your ground. This is, one, this is one that calls for civil disobedience. Nonviolent civil disobedience. Don't bend the knee to the government. Continue bending your knee to your God. And maybe... Just maybe you will be found worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. Anyway, let me um, continue reading the story. After initially telling members last week they could no longer pray out loud before meals because the meals are partially funded by the federal government, Senior Citizens, Inc. reversed course to the relief of the center's members. Quote, I thank the Lord for that, said Ruby Neesmith. We should have the freedom to speak up and pray. You do have the freedom, Ruby. And if they tell you you can't, you do it anyways. Make them show their hand. Port Wentworth Mayor Glenn, and this is weird. He go, I kid you not. I read this yesterday. The mayor of, of uh, Port Wentworth, is his name is Mayor Glenn Pig Jones. I didn't want to call him that because um, wh- where I come from, pig is not a uh, is not a flattering name to attach to somebody but it's the second time i've seen this so apparently he goes by the name pig jones 
<clears throat> I did a weird side story. So um, uh, uh, Port Wentworth uh, Mayor Glenn Pig Jones announced the news late in the afternoon during a press conference at the center packed full of members. I think everything is good now, Jones said. We're happy. Part of a full life. Jones shared a statement, he said, was provided by Patricia Lyons, the president of Senior Citizens, Inc. Lyons said, the, the Georgia Department of Human Services Division of Aging Services clarified and reversed the position Monday after the state had instructed the organization for years that verbal prayer was not allowed at any senior center. Quote, as an organization, we feel that spirituality is an important and necessary part of a full life, and we are thankful this is the interpretation of the regulation that makes prayer possible in all of its forms, Lyons said. Senior Citizens, Inc. officials said last week the people could not pray out loud because of federal government rules regarding the separation of church and state. The company provides meals for about $6 a plate. Seniors taking the meals pay 55 cents, and federal monies uh, foot the rest of the bill. I think it's wonderful, said Doris Allen, who is a regular at the center. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have nothing. Uh, prayer scheduled. Uh, uh, Fort, uh, Port Wentworth uh, Ed Young Senior Center will host a prayer <coughs> Excuse me, at 11.30 a.m. today. That's already passed now. Uh, at uh, at uh, 100 Af- uh, Aberfeldy Road in Port Wentworth, Chaplain Brandon Bowman of the 165th Air- Airlift Wing Georgia Air National Guard will offer prayer. So we uh, thank God for the uh, the victory here. But keep in mind, even though we won, we've lost some ground on this. And uh, every one of you listening, you, there's a potential that you might be called upon to make a decision, either to bend the knee to the government or bend the knee to God. This is not a decision that you need to make. Plain and simple. God always wins. <sighs> All right. Um, oh, oh, boy. Hang on to your girdles, folks. Um, yeah, uh, Patricia King. Um, well, hang on a second here. If we're going to do a Patricia King, um, got to play my Patricia King music. Yes, Patricia King's latest video over at ExtremeProphetic.com is, well, entertaining. The reason I say that is the the name of the video itself is What Dreams Mean? What Dreams Mean? And you need to listen carefully because very shortly here, we're going to be issuing a very important global warning. So, you, yeah, uh, this, is a, this is our public service our public safety service to you, uh, the uh, Fighting for the Faith, PirateChristianRadio.com um, listeners. And uh, so without any further ado, let's let Patricia King kind of introduce the uh, the topic at hand. And uh, and then we, you know, we will issue our warning at the appropriate point in her presentation. Here's Patricia King. The Lord's shown me that there is going to be another increase of dreams and visions in the body of Christ, an extra wave, a more intense wave, like a tsunami. Uh-oh. Uh, um, what? Uh, there's going to be a, su- a tsunami? Level. Some of you have already started to experience this. I remember a number of years ago, God spoke to me about um, 
about revelation increasing in the body of Christ, that there would be a greater level of dreams, visions, and revelations, words of knowledge, prophetic insights. And that's been escalating. But um, recently, I just see this big tsunami in the area of dreams. Oh, okay, folks, um, I apologize. Uh, based on what Patricia King has said, uh, we have no choice but to... Um well, we have to issue a spiritual tsunami warning. Um, uh, yes, I apologize that this sounds so official, but this is very serious stuff. So right now we are officially issuing a spiritual tsunami warning. spiritual tsunami warning has been issued. Spiritual tsunamis can strike any time or anywhere on planet Earth. Please grab your Bible and your wallet and immediately proceed to spiritual high ground. Spiritual tsunamis are very dangerous and they've been known to hijack large sums of money from checking and savings accounts as well as send its victims to an eternal hell. Again a spiritual tsunami warning has been issued for planet Earth. For updates on the spiritual tsunami warning, please regularly tune into Pirate Christian Radio. So there you have it folks, that's um, our official spiritual tsunami warning. And so uh fo- yeah, I mean if Patricia King is talking like that saying that there's going to be a you know a tsunami of dreams. Well, that's just bad stuff. Considering the fact that she's a, pa- a false prophet, and you know, kind of up there with Jezebel. So uh, we've officially here at Fighting for the Faith and PirateChristianRadio.com as our public safety service to you. We've issued uh, officially a, an official spiritual tsunami warning. So I, I just again I, I cannot reiterate just how important that it is that you heed our spiritual tsunami warning. And so I want to pray right now for um, your dream life, especially where God will speak. You want to pray for my dream life? For heaven's sakes, my dream life needs prayer. Speak to you in the night concerning things that are on his heart and concerning things he wants to do in and through you. I believe that there's going to be an acceleration of prophetic dreams, even regarding um, natural disasters, things he wants you to intercede for, blessings he wants to bring in your life and direction. In fact, there's someone named Jonathan. Um, Jonathan, run for the hills, please. Turn off your radio right now. Stop whatever you're doing and run, run. Go to the spiritual high ground. Don't let the spiritual tsunami get you. You have been uh, praying about... uh, Run, Jonathan, run! A confirmation of a direction. You feel like the Lord's um, asking you to move, but also changing something to do with your business or ministry um, that is, is, is quite a significant change. And so you've been waiting on him for that. And the Lord says that he is going to confirm it in a dream. He's going to give you a confirmation. You've already received some confirmations, but you are either going to receive a dream yourself or someone is going to send you a dream that they've had in an email that is going to give you... They're going to send you a dream in an email? Do you send dreams as an email attachment? Now, I've received Word docs. I've received Excel spreadsheets. I've received photographs, JPEGs, PNGs. I've never received a dream in an email before. 
I wonder what format that would be. Would it be a .drm file? The confirmation of what you need. And many of you that are watching the show right now are going to be receiving uh, these kind of confirmations through dreams and visions. Uh, some of you are going to actually be going into intense daydreams, even where God is going to use the... Oh, no. See, the, again, the spiritual tsunami sounds like it's just terrible. If you're going to go into intense daydreams, warning, you could end up losing your job. Can you ever, y'all ever remember the Calvin and Hobbes uh, uh, cartoon strip? I mean, poor Calvin. I mean, that kid was a daydreamer extraordinaire. I mean, he was Spaceman Spiff while uh, exploring exotic planets with dinosaur life while in the middle of the first grade. And his teacher let him have it every time he would have a daydream like that. So if you have a tsunami daydream in the middle of work, warning, you could lose your job. Run for the spiritual high ground. Daydreams to reveal his heart to you and to bring you into spiritual understanding of his purposes. So if you want an acceleration of dreams and the ability to interpret dreams, I'd like you to um, just come forward to your computer screen right now. What? <laughs> uh, I... <laughs> I'm going to back up just a little bit here. Okay. You can still hear me, right? I have to, I, yeah, there ain't no way I'm going any closer to my computer screen. I don't want the spiritual tsunami to get me. Whoa. And, uh, just receive. <laughs> what? Hang on a second. I got to back up the, uh, the audio on this. She, she had one of those, you know, those little poke downloads she gets from God every now and then. Hang on. To interpret dreams. I'd like you to um, just come forward to your computer screen right now. Whoa. And uh, <laughs> whoa. just receive the impartation because I feel an anointing on this. I've got the word of the Lord. Uh, this will be a tsunami impartation. Don't go near your computer screen. Step away from the monitor. That's right, folks. You don't want this to happen to you. For the acceleration of this. But if you want the acceleration of it in your life, just come close now. And I'm going to pray for acceleration of dreams, visions, revelations, and interpretation. of. Uh, folks, I'll be praying for decelerations and that you stick to the word of God and stay away from these complete crackpots dreams so father in the name of jesus i just loose and release right now the interpretation of dreams and i bind the spiritual tsunami in the name of jesus an increase of dreams and decrease of dreams and increase in desire to read and understand and mark and inwardly digest god's written word revelations and visions the revealed word already given to us into the lives of your people right now Thank you. So is is, is is what I did like a counter curse against the uh, tsunami warning? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So get ready. When you go to bed tonight, pray that God will speak to you and that you'll have the interpretation of it. You know, if you ask for the interpretation, he will give it to you. I also want to suggest that you go online at xpmedia.com. There is so much great teaching on dreams and, and hours and hours of heretical entertainment. And visions and revelation. We have Barbie Breffett and uh, Cindy McGill who have really great teaching and books and on they, dreams and, and interpretation of dreams. And 
they have the uh, the resurrection team that goes out to mortuaries and ministers to dead bodies. Haven't raised any from the dead yet, but they do have mortuary teams that go out to try to raise people from the dead. James, James Gall. In fact, you can order James Gall's book online at xpmedia.com. But there's so much great teaching on xpmedia.com. So spend time browsing the site. Uh, just punch in dreams or interpretation of dreams, and it'll bring up all kinds. It'll be a tsunami of data thrown at you. Of goodies for you. God wants to speak to you. That's why he gave you his word. In more intense ways than ever before. Wow, I'm getting a word of knowledge. Just oh, just like, like right now? No way. Are you serious, Patricia? Whoa. Now as I'm saying that, someone has recently had a dream about horses. And it's... <laughs> What? <laughs> Someone's had recently had a dream about horses? <laughs> really? Um, you're not just horsing around uh, with us, are you? It's like these horses are like in a whole like big like group of horses, and they're just racing, and you're and you feel like you're being run down by horses. They're oh no, that sounds like the cavalry has come to get you. What are you? What are you gonna do? I mean, from spiritual tsunamis to, to horses coming to run you down, just like charging at you, and 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 it's almost been like something that's really troubled your soul about this dream. But this is what I feel the Lord saying to you: is that there there has been a demonic assault, and it feels like a charge against you in the spirit, and. Um, Actually, it's it's something prophetic. It might not have actually already happened. Oh, this is just uh, this doesn't make. Sense. But there's this anticipation of something that's going to just take you down, yeah, take you out. Yeah, right. Yeah, and like the spiritual tsunami that dude. the Lord showed you the dream so that you can stop it. And what I see, and I'm going to pray yeah, for you okay. now, yeah, right. but what I see in the spirit is you rising up and you're putting your hands up like this and say, "In the name of Jesus, stop." Yeah, that that'll put an end to it right there. Wow, um, she never does uh, fail to entertain, does she? Uh, folks, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, pirate Christian. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Church. 
Flying Circus Church would like to apologize to all of our listeners. Normally, we do parody here at Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances and the current miserable state of the church, uh, we can no longer parody the church because the church just parodies itself. For proof of this particular concept, uh, we now present to you um, the uh, Holy Ghost Okie Pokey. I'll tell you, three weeks ago, we did a Friday Night School of the Spirit, and we saw 12 people healed the Word of Knowledge, and 40 healed doing the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. Let's just go ahead and do that and see what the Lord does. You guys okay to do the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey? Can you lead it? All right, Brian's going to lead us in the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. You can... Put your right hand in, put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you dig your right hand out. You put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. Put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. Put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. with the arms, uh, nothing, nothing real effect, but then as soon as I just start, we started doing the whole, we'll put your left foot in, your right foot in, both of my knees, you know, one at a time, I could just feel, all of a sudden, it's like there was no pain, I said, and you said, start checking yourself, I just squat down. That's awesome, thank you, Lord, for new knees, in Jesus' name, come on, come on. Um, I've had back problems most of my life, and a couple, about a week ago, my back had gone out, and it was somewhat better, but it was still sore. Uh, up until today, and when we did that hokey pokey, and she came up and testified, all the pain. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it.
the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. We've officially issued a spiritual tsunami warning for all of planet Earth. It doesn't matter if you're inland or on the coast. doesn't matter. Patricia King will find you. need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous financial gifts and contributions to Fighting for the Faith in order to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew. The other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute a mere $6.95 every month to Fighting for the Faith. And when we get to 1,000 listeners, we will have achieved our first financial goal. We have a little less than 300 that we need to still sign up. If you haven't done so, this would be a good time to do it. And, uh, of course, if you'd like to fill in the blank as to how much you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to uh, Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Just want to let you all know, tomorrow on the program, we're going to be answering a little bit of uh, listener email I, I, from time to time, get backlogged on my listener email, and I have a few of them that I would like to answer. Some some really interesting biblical questions were posed in the emails that have been sent to me l- lately. And so on tomorrow's edition of Fighting for the Faith, we will be doing some listener emails. So I want to let you know that. Okay, uh, moving along from Patricia King to George Ellerick. Does it sound like I'm picking on George? Poor George. Uh, yesterday, uh, we played audio from George Elric and basically used him as an example of what happens uh, to people when uh, they are exposed to and imbibe deeply in um, postmodernist uh, epistemology. It basically renders the victim completely incapable of thinking. Uh, yeah, postmodernity. I'm sorry, it hamstrings its victims mentally. And um, George Elric is a prime example of somebody whose brain has been mentally hamstrung by. Um, Postmodernity. So just remember, friends don't let other friends go pomo. Just something to keep in mind. Forget about driving drunk. You know that's important too. But friends don't let friends go pomo. P- 
Cuomo meaning postmodern. Uh, George Ellerick, uh, yes, this um, subjectivist theologian extraordinaire, and that's not a compliment. Uh, his uh, recent article uh, in the uh, Huffington Post, <laughs> boy, is that a fun paper to read. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh, man, their religion section is like a veritable train wreck. Anyway, um, George Ellerick has his piece entitled, One Creator, Many Names. Now, watch how this works, okay? He's not going to begin in God's Word. Okay, he's not going to begin by telling us something from the scriptures. He's going to begin with a time in human history when, well, all of humanity pretty much was in error. And when was that time? Well, prior to the discovery of of the New World by Columbus, well, people believed the earth was flat, you see? And so this is how the argument goes. See, they were wrong then about the earth being flat, so maybe we're wrong now about, you know, there only being one God. Yeah, I know. I, I'm ser- I, I understand George cannot argue his way out of a wet paper bag, even if I gave him a map and some breadcrumbs to follow. But um, we read, Explorers like Columbus framed their existence on the unproven reality that the Earth was flat and had an edge. Until they explored the ocean blue and found that it was in fact round, still there is a small group of people tucked in the tundra of Alaska who remain thoroughly convinced that the world is flat. They call themselves the Flat Earth Society. They claim that people like Columbus got it wrong, writing in their mission statement, quote, Then, in the year of our Lord, 1492, it all changed. For decades, a small band of self-proclaimed enlightened individuals who had been spouting the heretical nonsense that the earth was in fact round, citing proof based on nothing more than assumptions, half-truth, and blind guesses, they dazzled the populace with their undeniable mathematical and scientific evidence that the world is shaped not like a pancake, but an orange. I wonder if the spirit of the Flat Earth Society exists in our churches, mosques, temples, and holy scriptures. (laughs) Let me explain. We have evidence, gravity, a curved horizon, and images from space demonstrating that the probability that the Earth is round is far greater than the probability that it is flat. Most people would agree that the Earth is round. You are not going to see a report on CNN about two countries battling each other over whether the earth is round or flat. But you might see two countries killing each other on the topic of whether God is on their side or not. I could think of Muslims, but not Christianity. Um, Yeah, okay, we continue. A few months ago, I, I spent a month in Pakistan doing peace development work, sometimes as I engaged in can- casual conversation with Muslim friends who knew that I followed Jesus. They would comfortably request that I pray to God for them. Not Allah, but to God. Did you see what I just did there? I made a distinction between Allah and God, even if my Muslim friends intended no such distinction. Somewhere in my psyche, I had come to regard God and Allah, as if they were individual Greek gods battling for power over the cosmos. This discovery piqued my curiosity to find out what the word Allah meant in Arabic. In Arabic, yeah, in Arabic. And to my amazement, I found out that it means God. Not the God of Islam or the God of the religion who has terrorists fighting in its name, but God. It's simply the Arabic name for the creator and sustainer of all life. In Christianity, we use the word God to describe the 
uh, genderless spirit that presides over not only those who follow him, but all of creation. Uh, why do we pray to the Father then? Hmm. To the Jews, the word of the same spirit is Hashem. To certain Hindus, Hindus it's Vishnu. To assume that God resides or expresses himself in just one faith tradition is to assume that God is minute in size, power, and influence. To assume that the creator of the universe can have only one name is like saying that everyone's middle and last name is irrelevant to his or her identity, especially in a society where the last names tend to be especially tied to identity. Claiming that God is unique to Christianity or Islam or Hinduism or Judaism, to name a few, is very much like members of the Flat Earth Society who still claim that the Earth is flat regardless of evidence to the contrary. And now I ask my question, just real quick. I mean, you could see how the argument was going to go just from the first word of the first sentence. Um, evidence to the contrary. Really, what evidence to the contrary do you have that God is the same God of Christianity, is the same God as uh, Islam, as the same God of Hindus in, in the sort? <clears throat> well, let me continue reading this so woefully pathetically put together article jonah was an old testament prophet who lived in the 8th century bc in the story he believes that god or yahweh is calling him to preach to his enemies and he isn't a fan of the idea assuming that yahweh is a territorial deity or a god of the land like other gods he used to follow jonah jumps on a ship actually you know what's really funny about that um uh george is that that little part that you just said let me let me read what you just said again uh, you said that Jonah believes that uh, that Yahweh is a territorial deity and a god of the of the land like other gods. Yeah, the Book of Jonah doesn't say that. You just made that up and stuck it into the text. <clears throat> Okay, let's see here. So Jonah jumps on a ship and flees to the uh, to the sea, thinking that Yahweh can't possibly go there. Really? Is that what the text says? No, it doesn't. You just put that in there. As we all know, Jonah becomes a whale's happy meal. After his uh, human sushi experience, Jonah decides to go through the preaching, uh, to go with preaching to the nearby city, and its inhabitants decide to turn from their way of life. But Jonah, unhappy uh, with the way things have gone, decides that he doesn't want to be around for the celebration, so he takes a walk outside the city. Again, Jonah doesn't get it. He thinks his God is only a God of the uh, of the seas and some of the land, but not of all of it. He doesn't want to talk to this new God. By the way, the, the, Jonah doesn't say any of this. This is this all this commentary. George is well rolling his own theology and smoking it. Uh, but when Jonah finds a tree outside the city, the new God withers it. Uh, uh, it's a reminder that God is everywhere. Some people might need this, this same reminder. Joshua was an army captain for the Israelite people whose responsibility was to lead these desert nomads into the new, into their new home. In the story of one of the more pivotal battles, Joshua gets a visit from an angel. And like any good army leader, he wants to know whose side God is on. Neither the angel responds, and the angel then gives Joshua a command to take off his sandals, telling him that he's on holy ground. Even in enemy territory, the divine is present. Oh, this is just pathetic. By the way, this is not how you read the scriptures, okay? When you read the scriptures, clear passages always govern. Repeat that after me again. 
clear passages always govern. Notice something here that George is engaging in. This is subterfuge. This is mishandling God's word. Why? Because he's not taking us to the clear passages of Scripture that deal with the subject of other gods. Okay? He's not. Instead, well, George is taking us to passages that are, well, to put it politely, they're off topic. And as a result of it, he's eisegeting stuff into these passages that are not there and drawing conclusions from these passages that you can't draw because the passages he's quoting don't touch on the subject at hand. The subject at hand is, is there one God with many names? Does the God of the Bible recognize worship to other gods that are not named him that don't if whose attributes aren't the same as his whose scriptures are not the same as the uh, revealed word of God? Does God count worship to those deities as worship to himself? Does is God is the God of the Bible a firm believer in that famous saying that there's more than one way to climb Mount Fuji? Well, the only way we can answer that question is to look at the clear passages that discuss that issue head on. Okay. Now, I think you got the gist of what uh, George Ellerick is up to here. He's ba- this again, this is subterfuge. Now, I've ta- I've handled this topic in the past and I'm going to uh I I'm going to if you have your Bibles, let's let's do a little bit of biblical work here. I'm going to take you first and foremost to a passage that is a little off the beaten trail. Okay, now we could go to several passages. We could go to uh, we could go to the book of Deuteronomy, where it says, "The Lord our God, the war- the Lord is one. You shall have no other gods before me." God clearly says that. Um, we can take a look at like the passages in Isaiah chapter 42, 43, 44, and 45, where God condemns the worship of other gods, and he makes such statements as, there are no other gods before me, okay? that, that the, the, Again, uh, Isaiah 43 is just is, is clear as a bell on this, okay? You can go to the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. A showdown between Baal and Yahweh, okay? And the prophet of Yahweh, Elijah, makes fun of the prophets of Baal because their God isn't listening. He, Hello, shout louder. Maybe your God is using the bathroom. That's what the text says, and it, it's a little more forceful than that in the Hebrew. Um, and uh, and what ends up happening? Well, the, the, the showdown was the God who answers by fire is the true God. Yahweh answers by fire. Baal, Baal, well, he was a wall because he doesn't exist. And what ended up happening is, well, all the prophets of Baal, they, um, well, they lost their lives that day. And God considered that to be a good thing. Okay. So th- those are some clear passages that you can go to, okay? But let me let me take you to one that you may not be familiar with, and then I'll I'll take you to another one that you may be familiar with. You have your Bible open to the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, chapter forty-four. Jeremiah chapter forty-four. I'm going to start at verse one. Okay. Now, if you have the ESV, the English Sanctified, then the uh, the chapter heading reads "Judgment for Idolatry." Now, keep in mind. This is a clear passage 
that deals with the subject of worship to other gods. Let's take a look at how Yahweh feels about this. Uh, Not feels. Uh, Let's take a look at what Yahweh has revealed and spoken about this particular topic. Okay. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt at Migdal. Now, just so you can understand what's going on here. Um, well, Nebuchadnezzar sacked Israel, sacked Judah, sacked Jerusalem. And, the, and there were some people, the, there were some Ju- uh, Judeans uh, left who went down to Egypt. They fled there. Um, and so just so, so you know what's going on here, that's kind of so, so God has already judged Israel for her idolatry and punished her for her idolatry. And there's a few left and they've gone down to Egypt because, well, there ain't not there ain't much left up in Judah. So the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt at Migdal, at Tophanes, at Memphis and in the land of Pathros. Thus says Yahweh. Of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem and upon all the cities of Judah. Behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them because of the evil that they committed. Okay, now let's stop right there. Yahweh speaking to Jeremiah, telling him to give him a message. I want you to give a message to the um, remnant of the Judeans living down in Egypt. And he's talking about how God, how Yahweh punished and judged Israel for the evil that they committed. What was the evil that they committed? Did they listen to bad music? Did, were they guilty of smoking? Were they guilty of dancing? Were some of them chewing tobacco? I mean, what, what was the evil that was going on here? Well, let's find out. Behold this day, they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them because of the evil that they committed, provoking me to anger in that they went to make offerings and serve other gods that they knew not, neither they nor you nor your fathers. Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their evil and make no offerings to other gods. Apparently, Yahweh doesn't like sharing his glory with other deities, especially false ones made by human hands. And that's what Allah is. He's a false deity. Just because he doesn't have a totem pole set up in his name, he's a false deity. He's an idol every bit as much as Baal is. Yeah, Let's see here. Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate, but they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their evil and make no offerings to other gods. Therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they became a waste and a desolation as at this day. And now thus says Yahweh, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, infant and child from the midst of Judah, leaving you no remnant? 
Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you have come to live so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the evil of your fathers, the evil of the kings of Judah, the evil of their wives, and your own evil and the evil of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not humbled themselves even to this day, nor have they feared, nor walked in my law and my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. First commandment, you shall have no other gods. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for harm to cut off all of Judah. I will take the remnant of Judah. You have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall all be consumed. In the land of Egypt, they shall fall. By the sword and by famine, they shall be consumed. From the least to the greatest, they shall die by the sword and by famine, and they shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt shall escape or survive or return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return to dwell there. For they shall not return except for some fugitives. Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods, and all the women who stood by a great assembly, all the people who lived in Pathros in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of Yahweh, we will not listen to you. But we will do everything that we have vowed to make offerings to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her as we did both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. But since we left off making offerings to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And the women said, we made offerings to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her. Was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her bearing her image and poured out drink offerings to her? Then Jeremiah said to all the people, men and women, all the people who had given him this answer, as for the offerings that you offered in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your officials and the people of the land, Did not the Lord remember them? Did it not come to his mind? The Lord could no longer bear your evil deeds and the abominations that you committed. Therefore, your land has become a desolation and a waste and a curse without inhabitant as it is to this day. It is because you made offerings and because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law and his statutes and in his testimonies that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. Jeremiah said to all the people and all the women, hear the word of Yahweh, all of you, Judah, who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, 
you and your wives have declared with your mouths and have fulfilled it with your hands, saying we will surely perform our vows we have made to make offerings to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her. Then confirm your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, the the word of Yahweh, all of you of Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be invoked by the mouth of any man of Judah and all the land of Egypt, saying, as the Lord lives. Behold, I am watching over them for disaster and not for good. All the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end of them. And those who escape the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, few in number, and all the remnant of Judah who come, who came out to the land of Egypt to live shall know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. This shall be the sign to you, declares the Lord, that I will punish you in this place in order that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for harm. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hands of those who seek his life. I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was his enemy and sought his life. I think it's pretty clear. And by the way, this is just one of hundreds of passages I can take you to throughout the scriptures that absolutely make it clear that there is one God and God does not look favorably or kindly upon people who worship false gods. He calls them to repentance and to abandon and forsake all false deities and worship and serve and fear the one true God. George Ellerick and his emergent friends are lying to the world. And they're engaging in biblical subterfuge by not dealing with the clear passages. When you want to know what Scripture says, you have to start with the clear passages on a subject. And those always govern. The passages that Ellerick, McLaren, and other emergents point to, they don't deal with this topic. But the, the verses and passages that do make it absolutely clear. When God says you will have no other gods before me, he means you will have no other gods before me. And he will not tolerate idolatry. And he calls all sinners everywhere who are guilty of worshiping and serving false deities to repent of their idolatry and be forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the one true God in human flesh who died on the cross, took God's wrath full strength upon himself to propitiate God's wrath and atone for our sins, even the sins of worshiping and serving false gods and demons. We're going to take our second break. When we come back, I'll show you real quickly one other passage that's really clear on this subject. 
and then we'll do our sermon review. So you don't want to miss that. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, turning for the written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk to you about auto insurance. As the father of two teenage drivers, I know how expensive auto insurance can be. But as expensive as auto insurance is, it's nothing compared to the cost of not having it when you need it. That's why I'm excited to have Allstate Insurance as one of Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertisers. Did you know that drivers who switched to Allstate saved an average of $396 per year compared to what they were paying other companies? Now, I don't know about you, but I think $396 is a lot of money in these tough economic times. Why don't you give Allstate a call and see how much they can save you? You can reach them toll-free at 877-246-1511. Again, that's 877-246-1511. One five one one. The good folks at Allstate will be happy to give you a free quote over the phone. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. <laughs> the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support.
right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Just a couple more words regarding Elric's claim, one creator, many names, and his complete mishandling of God's word. Again, when you're reading the Bible, clear passages always govern. All right, uh, just, if you haven't read this passage, it's been a while since I've mentioned it here at Fighting for the Faith, but I have mentioned it in the past. Uh, the passage in question is found in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. Okay, um, I, I don't have time to teach the whole two chapters. Okay, let me give you just a quick couple of summaries and I'll give you a homework assignment. Read it. Read Second Kings chapters 22 and 23. Now, in a best case scenario, you will have read you will actually be reading this as part of an overall Bible reading plan where you're aggressively reading the Bible and uh, getting to understand what it says and what it means. And you've, you're reading chapters 22 and 23 in the fuller context of both first and second Kings. In fact, first and second Samuel, first and and first and second sec, sorry, first and second Kings. Um, but in, in, in a pinch, you can read the two chapters themselves. Okay. Let me kind of give you a, a, the gist of what's going on by this time in second Kings, uh, the folks in Israel, uh, in Judah had really, really, really slid into absolute syncretistic pluralism when it comes to deities. How bad was it? It was so bad that there were little grottos set up in Solomon's temple to a bunch of different false gods. That's how bad it had become. That Solomon's temple itself was defiled with statues to you know of Baal, Asherah poles. I mean, it and it just an absolute mess. In fact, you can kind of think of it this way: um, it's it was like Samir Salmanovic's faith house in Manhattan. He's an emergent guy, and um, we read uh, starting at chapter twenty-two, verse one, about somebody who became the king of uh, of Judah, and his name is. Josiah, we read, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah, Adiah, sorry, of Bozkath, and he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh, and he walked in all the ways of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Okay, so what right off the bat, the scriptures declare regarding Josiah that he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh. Okay? Well, can you give us some examples of the things that he did that were right? Well, let me continue. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azealiah, son of Meshulam, the secretary of the house of the Lord, saying, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the land, into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen 
who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house, that is the carpenters and the builders and the masons, and let them use it for buying timber, quarried stone to repair the house, uh, but no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hands, for they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I, I-, I found a book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house, and they have delivered into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. And then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Machiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Asiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of Yahweh for me, for the people, uh, for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah, the priest, and Ahikam, and Achbor, and Shaphan, and Asiah went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now, she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her, and she said to them, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book and the king of Ju- that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hand. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, Because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before Yahweh when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and you have wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes will not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back the word to the king. From what we've read so far, do you think Yahweh, the one true God, you know, basically is, you know, has that nonchalant one creator, many names, approach that George Ellerick and the emergent folks like uh, Samir Salmanovic and, and Brian McLaren and the gang are promoting, not on your life. I might as well read a little bit more. I mean, I'm, I'm here, you know. <sighs> All right, uh, let, we'll read a little bit more. From Second Kings chapter 23, starting at verse 1, I continue reading. Then the king sent... 
And all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the of the Lord with and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all of his soul and to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. And the king commanded... Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord. So listen to this. To bring out from Solomon's temple all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven, and he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. He deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to, to Baal, those who burned incense to the sun and to the moon and to the constellations and all the hosts of heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord. There was an Asherah pole in Solomon's temple. And he burned it at the, bo- at the brook of Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. That's right, folks. There were male cult prostitutes that's right homosexual prostitution was part of the worship at Solomon's temple he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the Asherah and he brought all the priests out of the city cities of Judah and defiled their high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. He broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance to the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Molech. He removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the son at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the uh, chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire and the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of, of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars that Manasseh had made to the two courts of the house of the Lord, he pulled down and then broke them into pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. Did I mention this little part here at the beginning, Second uh, Kings chapter 22, verse 22, and Josiah did what was right in the eyes of, the, of Yahweh. He did what was right. Josiah went on a cleansing spree and cleansed Jerusalem and the and Solomon's temple of all the idols of all the false worship to all the false gods George Ellerick 
if he were alive back then, he would have called Josiah a flat earther. He would have claimed that Josiah was a backwards bumpkin who didn't understand that God was the God of everybody and you can worship God any way you please. George Ellerick hasn't got a clue about the one true God. Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Who are you going to believe? George Ellerick? Or are you going to believe what God has had re- had revealed in his word? It does, This isn't a matter of having a big God or a small God. This is a matter of the one true God, the biggest God there is, because there ain't no other revealing of himself that he will not share his glory with another God. Whether that God be called Allah, whether that God be called Shiva or Vishnu, whether that God be called Zeus, it doesn't matter. The God, the one true God, has made it clear he will not tolerate, and he considers it to be a grievous sin and a stench in his nostrils. He considers it to be spiritual prostitution for you to worship and serve other gods. And that's what his word clearly says, and that's what he has clearly spoken. Who are you going to believe? George Ellerick in the emergence and Brian McLaren in those cats? Or are you going to believe God's word? All right, we're going to switch gears and uh, dive into our sermon review, which means we have to cue up our sermon review music. Hang on a second here. Uh, It's a bad one, by the way. The good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) Yes, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's uh, sermon contestant, if you would, comes to us from the Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Pastor Wayne Cartiero, and the name of the sermon is Dream Releasers. Now, if you haven't listened to Dr. Rosenblatt's lecture on the good news of the bound will, or Dr. MacArthur's lecture on the doctrine of man's complete incapability, you need to listen to those. Because then I'm going to ask you the question, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe Wayne Cartiero in his dream-releasing sermons doctrine? Or are you going to believe the clear teachings of the Word of God? It's a reason why I went with this. Folks, if you have a pastor like Wayne Cartiero preaching stuff like this to you, you got to get out of that church. You got to go get to find a church where the pastor knows God's word, preaches God's word, and proclaims Christ and Him crucified for your sins. Let me kill the music. So, without any further uh, ado, here is uh, Wayne Cartiero from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon, Dream Releasers. What makes you beautiful? I mean it in God's eyes, because I think every one of us on the inside yearns. Okay, the answer to that question is Jesus Christ and his shed blood. That's what makes us beautiful in God's eyes, if you really want to be technical here. 
nothing good in us. There's nothing good in us that makes us beautiful in God's eyes. We are dead in trespasses and sins. What makes us beautiful in God's eyes is Christ being clothed in his righteousness, being washed in his blood. That's what makes us pleasing and beautiful in God's eyes. That's the answer to the question. But let's see where Wayne goes with this. To hear him say, you're beautiful, you're perfect. But what happens is we try to find that beauty in other ways. So Madison Avenue is great pulling us in one way or the other to embark on an elusive search for something that's empty in the end. But we have spent our whole life in the meantime, and we can never find our way back. What is it that makes you beautiful, really? Well, God gives us a key to that because inside every person is one. What? Yeah, what's inside me again? There's something inside of me that makes me beautiful to God? Really? What would that be? Every single one of you has one. It's in every single one of you. It might be lying under the rubble of past mistakes. It might be deep, deep in the terrain of, of fear. It needs to be excavated or at least nudged a little more towards the surface. It could be covered over by what people have said or, or errors that were we made. But everybody still has one. Everybody has one. You say, well, what is it? What is it that God would say is beautiful? Let me, let me tell you what it is. In every single one of us is a dream of what you can be for God. A dream. That is a bald-faced lie. And there ain't no scripture that teaches that anywhere. Inside of you. Is a dream for what God you No, there isn't. Inside of you is blackness, sin, wickedness, and spiders. See, God put it in there. God put it in there, and you have to then surface it. Really, where in the Bible does it say that? Where does it say that God put inside of us some dream and that we have to surface it? Again, this ain't taught anywhere in God's word. This is a lie. Plain and simple. I mean, he might believe it. He may not understand that he's lying to you, but the reality is he's lying. Maybe awaken it from its slumber. Maybe nudge it. But every one of us has a dream, a dream of what we can be. God put it there. It was in the beginning that he took that dream, crushed it into powder, the powder of potential, put it into a seed, and put it into every single one of us. Lie? You can't find a single passage of scripture that says anything to this effect. Absolute, bald-faced lie. God's word says nothing of the sort. This is just satanic tomfoolery. And if those dreams could start to fly of what you can be for God, if that down on the inside can fly, oh my goodness. If every dream in this place began to fly, Every dream of what you can be for God, the potential that's within you. If it all came to reality, do you know how powerful this one church would be? I mean, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, with just these people right here. God brought the dreams to flight in, in twelve people. And with just, just twelve, they changed the world. Just twelve. 
I'm hearing uh, itching ears being scratched. What do you think? Twelve dreams set to flight. Think about all of us. If God set all our dreams to flight, man, we, we could change like Pluto. <clears throat> uh, was it 12 dream? Was it the apostles' dreams uh, that Jesus set to flight? Or was it that Jesus commissioned them and sent them to proclaim a message? Had nothing to do with their dreams. It'd be amazing what God could do with all of us. But you know what most of us do? We take it to the grave for fear that it might not fly, might not be liked, might not be something valuable to somebody else. And so we hold it within us and it takes, we take it to the grave. Let me tell you the richest spot on the face of the earth. It's not the gold mines of the Incas. It's not the bulk and the uh, uranium mines of the Balkans. The, the richest spot on the face of this earth is right here in Bend. It's the cemetery. Because you see, under those rectangular pieces of sod, six feet down, are dreams that were never realized. No, there's a whole bunch of people who have died. Not about that. It has nothing to do with their dreams being realized. That's a whole bunch of sinners receiving the wages of their sin, which is death. And we all have a payday coming. And realizing our dreams here on earth isn't going to give us a snowball's chance of hell of standing before a holy and just God and giving an accounting of our life and expecting us to do well. Songs that were never sung for fear that someone might not like our voice or our lyrics. Books that were never written. Maybe not, no one will buy that. Masterpiece paintings that were never painted. Ideas that could have changed our community, transformed our nation. Ideas that were taken to the grave. There's one in every single one of us. Let me ask you, you going to take your dream to the grave? Don't make the graves any richer than they already are. <clears throat> what about the riches of the shed blood of Christ for our sins? Boy, this guy's really off topic. I can't believe this place even calls itself a church. Why, if, if I could go to one cemetery and if I could mine the potential out of every grave and set this to flight, I'd be the richest man on the face of the earth. There's no potential in the grave. Everybody's dead. This is, I mean, this is complete fantasy island stuff. Just from one grave. See, you don't want to take your dream to the grave because everything this generation needs, everything this generation needs, everything this nation needs lies within us. Oh, man, I'm getting angrier. No, it doesn't. We are all wretched sinners, dead in trespasses and sins. We have nothing within us to solve our problems. We need Christ. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah, we may be able to manage the planet so that we don't blow each other up, but that's pretty much about it. In potential form. You say, well, what's potential? Potential is everything that you can be, but you haven't become yet. It's everything that you can do, but you haven't done yet. 
The ability is in there. The potential's there. It's everywhere you can go, but you haven't gone yet. It's everybody, collectively, everybody that you could inspire, but you haven't inspired yet. Everyone whose future you could encourage, but you haven't encouraged yet. It's all within you in potential form. You can take that. Did, Did he read this on a greeting card somewhere? What a complete blow to pablum. Unbelievable. They should throw this guy out as a complete huckster. He's not doing his job. And that's preaching the word of God and proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. I mean, seriously, did he get all this stuff from Hallmark? Oh, under every drop of rain, a flower grows. To the grave? Don't you dare. Don't you dare. In fact, I have a motto. You know what the motto is? Die empty. Yeah, I plan to give nothing to the grave except a shrimp. So he's preaching his motto. Yeah, this is... Shriveled old cadaver, empty and wrung out. Some people say, Wayne, you look like you're almost there. But no, 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 I've got a long way to go. Die empty. Divest everything that God has given to you of that dream into the advance of the kingdom of God, that which will be eternal. See, if you just get distracted with it, you lose it. If you get distracted, you waste it. But if you in- And where in God's word does it say any of this garbage? Nowhere. Wayne here is absolutely preaching fantasy, mythology. This is not truth. This is not sound biblical doctrine. This is not biblical preaching. This is complete, made-up fantasy malarkey. Invest it in the right place. It will multiply 30, 60, 100-fold. That's the church. People whose dreams are surfacing. Die empty. In fact, turn to the person next to you and just say, Die empty. Go ahead. Just say, die empty. Yeah, not not in this service, but die empty later on. But you see what the enemy does, knowing that there's one in every single one of us, a dream of what you can be for God, people that you can inspire, people that you can encourage, people whose lives that you can change. Oh, man. So Satan's the big dream stealer. Oh, brother. It's all in potential form, waiting for your command you going to take that to the grave? See what the devil does, knowing that if all of our dreams were set to flight, we would be a powerful group of people. So here's his greatest weapon. The devil's greatest weapon against the church. The greatest weapon is not destruction. Because you see, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've received him into your heart, you are kept in his safekeeping. Not your performance, it's based on his performance, not on what you do, it's based on what he has done. So even Jesus said, when my father puts you in my hand, no one can snatch you out of my hand. Okay, hang on a second, this sounds kind of like a gospel nugget to me. But it doesn't make any sense in this human potential dream-releasing thing that he's... Unbelievable. This is a mess. 
So, the devil's greatest weapon is not destruction, but it is distraction. To get you to go down dead-end trails and dead-end rabbit trails and expend your time and your energy looking for what you think or the world says is beautiful. You know, I, I agree with him to a point. Absolutely, the devil is all about distraction. This is a prime example of a distracting, distracting devilish sermon because it's not pointing us to Christ. It's pointing us to our potential and our dreams, and it's just full of absolute garbage. So we run all over the place. And by the time we're done and tired, we're 70 or 80 years old. and We can't go back anymore. We're tired and our dreams are taken to the grave. You understand? That's a, it's an insidious, crafty weapon that he has against God's people. And we do that. Yeah, I agree. It's an insidious, crafty weapon. And you're wielding it against God's people right now. Because we're looking for what Madison Avenue says, this is the way to beauty. John Wesley said something really neat. He said it this way. He said, I now value everything only by the price that it will gain in eternity. In other words, what man says is valuable, you say, is this going to be valuable in heaven? No, then that's the real value of it. What about this trinket, bling? How much is that going to be in eternity? Zero. That's the real value. What about people's lives coming together and people starting to, to understand their beauty in Christ? Well, that's worth a lot. That's what it's worth down here. You understand? We have to switch our definition of beauty and value. And once you start to catch that, then you become the bride of Christ, the church in all our glory. And when we start. So we become the bride of Christ when we recognize our, our value? No, it's when we repent and are forgiven and come to repentant faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Oh, this is just unbelievable. Start to see things that way and our dreams starting to be set to flight. That's when you'll hear a collective voice of heaven's angels saying, now that's beautiful. That's who you died for, wasn't it, Jesus? He'll say, that's the bride of Christ. That's what we want to do. Now, not only do you have gifts on the insider dreams, there's other people and young people that have dreams that are buried deep, buried deep under the rubble. And one of the reasons in this season of my life, we've decided to invest through a Bible college to teach and educate and mentor, nudge dreams to flight in the hearts of young people is because I understand how important that is because it was important to nudge dreams to flight in the hearts of young people. Where did Jesus say to do that? To me, because I needed someone to help me nudge my dreams of flight. I grew up as a, a not a pastor's kid, but a military kid. They called us military brats. My dad traveled all over the world, and for three years I lived in Japan. I remember Japan quite well. It was on Saturdays, my dad used to load us up in his car and he'd take us up above the hills of Tokyo. Cool wind would blow. We'd stop at a lookout point and, and a precipice or a cliff would, would uh, drop maybe 200 feet down and then it would swoop into the valleys, each reaching out to a little thatched hut at the end of a rice paddy. The wind would blow up and it would brush the cedar trees and it would... It would 
gather the scent, the cedar scent from the trees and fill our lungs with the most beautiful aroma of cedar. I remember one Saturday on one side, a lady was selling lunches. We called them bento. Over here was a man in a classic rice hat. He had a large box in front of him, strapped around his shoulder, suspended. And, and on top of this box were little 10 by 10 bamboo cages with a little finch in each. Selling them, he'd cry out, which means come around, customers. And I would walk up and I remember looking at one of those and I thought, what a great pet that would make. So nice, little bird. I said, uh, I said, sir, how much is it for one bird? He said, which means 100 yen, or in those days it was 36 cents. Just want to let you all know this story is actually not found in the Bible. Again, this story is nowhere found in the Bible. I just want to let you know that. He's not actually teaching the Bible at this point. In fact, I don't think he's been teaching the Bible at all. Um, so far, God's word is um, eerily and mysteriously missing from this sermon. Just want to let you all know that. I said, why Which means, could I have one, please? So he gave me one. I exchanged from my hand to his, a hundred yen coin. And excited about my new purchase, I turned to run to my dad to show him what this beautiful new pet was that I just purchased. And this man in this kimono and this hat and geta slippers, which are wooden slippers with large... Uh, uh, bases on them. He would stand there in that classic form. And as I ran away, he called after me and he said, Hey, don't forget to bring the cage back when you're done. I said, what? He said, don't forget to bring the cage back. I said, I, I don't plan to eat it. I'm going to take it home for a pet. And he said, Oh no, the hundred yen wasn't to take it home for a pet. I said, well, what was it for? He said, oh, it's for you to take that bird to the edge of the lookout point and let it go free. I thought, that's about the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. I just paid good money for this thing. And I was about to take a run for it because I could outrun him because I was only like in the seventh grade. I thought, I'll just outrun him because he's got those wooden slippers. He can't run very fast. Clickety-clack, clickety-clack doesn't go as fast as my tennis shoes could. So I was about ready to make a run for it when I thought, oh, but in that kimono might be some ninja stars that he could whip at me. And those stars fly faster than I could run. So after that quick math calculation, I thought, you know what? I think the odds are against me. So I went to the edge, figuring I might as well comply. And I opened the cage. That little bird hippity-hopped around, and I tapped it on the cage, and it hippity-hopped again. I tapped it a second time, and it went right to the edge of the open door. And with a final tap, it burst into a duet of tweets and whistles, and it fluttered away in its new freedom. But then almost as an afterthought, it zeroed back around to me, almost as if to say, thank you very much. <laughs> and then it just took off. I stood there with just simply an empty open cage. But with a feeling that I'd never experienced before. And if I would have known then what that feeling would do to change my life, I would have paid a hundred times as much. Because I stood there and for the very first time in my life, 
I felt the overwhelming joy of being a dream releaser. To give freedom to someone's beauty. <laughs> what a beautiful, what a stupid picture. This is not taught in the Bible. Give me a break. It was the first time in my whole life I was transformed and I realized what it felt like to be a dream releaser. Uh, how about a soul enslaver? That's what this guy is. He's a soul enslaver, keeping people in their bondage to sin, death, and the devil, and refusing to do his biblical duty, which is to preach God's word. When I received Christ later on, I met a dream releaser, someone who tapped on my cage. Three months after I was saved, I got out of rock and roll music in Portland, Oregon. The people that led me to Christ gave me a, a little paperback New Testament. And they said, you need to go and study about God. I have an idea. Why don't you go find it and start reading from it for, for the sermon? It'd be really refreshing to hear God's word instead of your stupid stories. Well, I, I went to the, the Bible college that I'm now overseeing, chancelloring. Uh, it doesn't show. You, you went to a Bible college? Really? When does the Bible make an appearance in this uh, sermon of yours? It was Eugene Bible College, and I, I went there, and the first day of class, I met a rude awakening, because I already felt pretty sheepish in this very venerable institution, because you figure the only people that go to these fantastic Christian colleges are like cherubim, seraphim, and pastor's kids. I didn't get any of those multiple choices, so I thought, oh, man, I am just an outlier. So I thought, I'll just sit here. And, and just then the teacher got up and said, let's all turn to Jeremiah. And so I turned around and I thought, who's Jeremiah? And the kid in back of me said, in your Bible, stupid, in your Bible. Have you ever tried to find Jeremiah in the New Testament? I was flipping through that thing all class. I thought, you're hiding in here somewhere, dude. Well, I, obviously, I felt like a fool in the next class. However, I went into this class taught by a lady that was about to change my life. Her name was Dr. Grace Flint. She taught Bible history. But instead of teaching Bible history on that first day of class, she, she asked us, what, if you had a dream of what you could be for God, what would it be? Just make it up. What would it be for, for you to be? It's like Christmas every day if you could do something. What do you have down deep in your soul? And some didn't know, but some did. And she said, she said she'd say, share it. And so a person would share. And then she would take the risk by saying, what do you guys think? Do you think she can do that? And we'd go, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. We're encouraging one another. And someone else would share his or her dream. And she'd say, what do you guys think? We'd say, yes, you can. What does this person need to, to be all that God wants her to be or him to be? And we would share. I would share a few things. And, and then at the end of the class, she said, okay, let's all write our dreams down. Just a paragraph. What's your dream of what you think you could be for God? Just it might change and morph along the way, but write it down. So I wrote mine down. Turned it in, and the next day, when I came back to class, I received back that paper. It was absent of a grade, but present there was a handwritten note in red ink, as she would do to all of the students at that college. I've never forgotten those words. 
because she wrote, Wayne, as I heard you comment on the other students' dreams, it was obvious that the hand of God is on your life. You're going to go through some of the valleys of the shadow. You're going to run into some walls, but you stay close to him who loves you the most. God's hands upon you. And then she ended it with this. I'm excited because the kingdom of God has been waiting for you. I must have read that. I need to remind you all again, this story also, it doesn't appear in the Bible. So far, God's word is completely missing from this sermon. Twelve times before I went to bed that night. It was like water to a thirsty soul. You see, what she did was she just tapped on my cage and my dreams started to surface. We need those. I call them dream releasers. We need dream releasers in our lives. Just people who will tap on cages. Just encourage, help. Jesus was a dream releaser. He walked the, the dusty streets of Jerusalem and just... Jesus was a dream releaser. Really, I'd like to see you make a biblical case for that. All he was doing was tapping on cages. Simon Barjona. Simon means rolling pebble. Simon, rolling pebble, son of Jonah. You won't be called Simon Barjona anymore. I'm going to call you Peter, which is a solid tectonic plate. Solid rock, bedrock. Your name will be Peter. And upon this, I'm going to build my church. No, no, no. Jesus wasn't releasing Peter's dreams. He was acknowledging his confession that Jesus was the Christ, the son of living of the son of the living God. The rock was the testimony of Peter to Jesus. You see, he had just said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. And you are going to be Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Here's what he was saying. He's saying, as you partner with what God is saying to you and what he's putting in your heart, and as you become the person that God wants you to be, a solid rock, not a rolling pebble, that kind of people, I'm going to build my church upon it. People who begin to see themselves in the beauty that God sees in them. Oh, good night. If God sees beauty in us, then why did Christ have to die on the cross for us? He sees us as sinners. The wrath of God is still on those who haven't repented. I am going to freak out. This is just estrogen-filled mythology full of hallmark sentimentalities that are just not... This is not sound biblical interpretation at all, if you can even call that. I mean, and follows those dreams rather than being distracted their lives. They seek the things of God, and God reveals it to you as to who you are and how you are to be a part of the kingdom of God. That's the foundation upon which the bride of Christ will rise. And when we are people releasing dreams in our own lives and tapping on the cages of others. When that's going on, it's like heaven looks down over the banister of the celestial stars and says, gosh, that's beautiful. 
and nowhere is this found in the scriptures. So, gosh, that's just heretical. Understand? When your dreams are being fulfilled and letting God use it for his advance, that's just absolutely beautiful. I want to encourage you today. The reason we all came is to encourage you to let your dreams fly, whatever God's called you to do. And that's what I'm doing in Eugene. Pianist is our creative arts director. One that did that sketch is also in our creative arts department. We have students here. People that have heard God say that you're beautiful. Use your gifts, whatever it is, and invest it in the kingdom. And the angels see No repentance, no forgiveness of sins, no bloody cross. No, just tap on people's cages and set their dreams aflutter. Whatever. See that, and they say, that's absolutely beautiful. And as you encourage, inspire, write that song, that book, begin to do what God has placed in your heart. And if we'll all nudge one another's dreams to flight, this church will be absolutely beautiful. And then burn in hell. Do that and watch what God can do. You watch, you wait, you'll see. Let me pray for you. Nope. <laughs> nope. You don't get to do that. <laughs> so then, <laughs> boy, I'm glad it was a short sermon. I, <laughs> I think I might have blown a gasket in my left frontal lobe if I had continued on. Good night. So that is the, <laughs> that was the exact polar opposite of what you heard yesterday from Dr. Rod Rosenblatter from a couple weeks ago from uh, Dr. John MacArthur. It, it, what'd you think? <laughs> no Christ, no cross. Uh, very, I mean, twisted out of context, Bible-ish kind of stuff. And we heard more about his little story in Japan with the little finch in the little cage and tapping the cage and releasing his dreams than we heard actually from God's word at all. I mean, just, ha, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, Wayne, heretic. Absolutely, yeah, that was not biblical preaching, teaching at all whatsoever. What'd you think? Would love to get your feedback. By the way, I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you to partner with us financially in order to continue to bring this important discernment radio outreach to you as well as to the world. You can uh, partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, click on one of our uh, yellow buttons. We have one that says Donate, the other says Join Our Crew. And when you click on the Join Our Crew button, your dreams will be released. And the, you know, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're signing up to automatically contribute a mere $6.95 every month to Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to fill in the blank as to how much you'd like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. I think I'm going to go release my birthday dreams now. <laughs> What on earth was that? 
<laughs> oh, man. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you could ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My, my dweens will twitter away. <laughs> pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace of mercy. One by Christ on the cross for your sins. Amen.